Welcome back to God's Brand. It's your host, Puzzle Making Poe. We're at you with another segment of our um, Grown Man Book Club. I don't know. We need some uh, muscle music for this segment. Um, but we're not really into producing too much yet. Uh, we'll dabble with that in a few, um, in a lot of Photoshops and editing. And eventually an NFT page. But for the meantime, we're here to read our book. Um, I think we're on chapter 10. It, it's a fat chapter, so we're about halfway through it. Um, we're going to finish the chapter today, and if we got time, we may read into the next chapter, but... We'll start by finishing it off and see how we feel. Um, maybe after this chapter, we can do a little bit of talking. Um, and just, you know, maybe we just see how long we get the episode. Our audio for recording is still limited, and our recording space is not soundproof. So let's start it off. If at any one time of my life more than another, I made to drink the bitterest dreg of slavery, that that time was during the first six months of my stay with Mr. Convey. We were worked in all weathers. It was never too hot nor too cold. It could never rain, blow hail or snow too hard for us to work in the field. Work, work, work was scarcely more the order of the day than the night. The longest days were too short for him, and the shortest nights were too long for him. I was somewhat unmanageable when I first went there, but within a few months of this discipline tamed me, Mr. Convey succeeded in breaking me. I was broken in body, soul, and spirit. My natural elasticity was crushed. My intellectual languish, the deposition to read departed. The cheerful spark that lingered about my eye died. The dark night of slavery closed in upon me, and behold, a man transformed into a brute. Sunday was my only leisure time. I spent this in a a sort of beast-like stupor between sleep and wake under some large tree at times i would rise up a flash of energetic freedom would dart through my soul accommodated with a faint beam of hope that flickered for a moment and then vanished i sank down again mourning over my dreadful condition i was some wait sorry I was sometimes prompted to take my life and that of Mr. Convey, but it was prevented by a combination of hope and fear. My suffering on this plantation seemed now like a dream rather than a stern reality. Our house stood within a few rods of the Chesapeake Bay, whose broad bosom was ever white with sails from every quarter of the habitable globe those beautiful vessels robbed in purest white so delightful from an eye of a freedman were so to me were to me so many shrouded ghosts to terrified and torment me with the thoughts of 
a summer Sabbath stood all alone upon me, the lofty banks of that noble bay, and traced with saddened heart and tearful eye. The countless number of sails moved off to the mighty ocean. The sight of these always affected me powerfully. My thoughts would cumble urdence and there with no audience but the almighty i would pour out my soul complaint in my rude way with an apostle apostle to the moving multitude of ships you are loose from your mourning and are free I am fast in my chains, and I'm a slave. You move merely before the gentle gale, and I sadly before the bloody whip. You are freedom's swig-wig angels that fly around the world. I'm confined in bands of iron. Oh, that I were free. Oh, that I were on one of your gallant decks and under your protection wing. At last, bewixed me and you the turbaned water roll. Go on, go on. Oh, that I could also, also go. Could, could I but swim if I could fly? Oh, why was I born a man of whom to make a brute? The glad ship is gone. She r- hides in the dim distance. I am left in the hottest hell of unending slavery. Oh, God, save me. God, deliver me. Let me be free. Is there any God? Why am I a slave? I will run away. I will not stand it. Get caught or get clear. I will try it. I had as well died with a grew as the fever. I have only one life to lose. I had as well be killed running as die standing. Only think of it. One hundred miles straight north and i am a free try it yes god help helping me i will it cannot be that i shall live and die a slave i will take the water this very bay shall yet bear me into freedom the steamboats steering in the northeast course from north point i will do the same and when i get to the head of the bay I will turn my canopy adrift and walk straight through Delaware into Pennsylvania. And when I get there, I shall not be required to have a pass. I can travel without being disrupted, but let let but the first opportunity offered and come what will I off, I am off. Meanwhile, I will try to bear up under the yoke. I am not the only slave in the world. Why should I freak? I can bear as much as any of them. Besides, I am but a boy, and all boys are bound to someone. It may be that my misery and slavery will only increase my happiness. It may be that my misery and slavery will only increase my happiness when I'm free. There is a better day coming. Thus I used to think, and thus I used to speak to myself. 
gogged almost to madness at one point and there to be the next recounseling myself to my wretched lot. I have already entamed that my condition was much worse during the first six months of my stay at Mr. Convey's than in the last six, my circumstances leading to the change in Mr. Convey's course toward me from an Epcot in my humble history. You have seen how a man was a slave. You shall see how a slave was made a man. On one of the hottest days of the month in August 1833, Bill Smith, William Hughes, a slave named Eli, and myself were engaged in fanning wheat. Hughes was cleaning the fan wheat from before the fan. Eli was turning, Smith was feeding, and I was carrying wheat to the fan. The work was simple, requiring strength rather than intelligence. Yet to one entirely unused to such work, it came very hard. About three o'clock of the day, I broke down. My strength failed me. I was seized with a violent aching of the head. Attended with extreme dizziness, I trembled in every limb. Finding what was coming, I nerved myself up, feeling it would never do to stop working. I stood as long as I could, staggering to the hobbler with grain. When I could stand no longer, I fell and felt as if I held down by an immense weight. The fan, of course, stopped. Everyone had his own work to do, and no one could do their work of the other and have his own go on at the same time. Mr. Convey was at the house, but 100 yards from the the eating yard, where treading yard, where we were farm fanning. Only hurt hearing the fan stop, he, immediate, he left immediately and came to the spot where we were. He hastily inquired what the matter was. Bill answered that I was sick. And there was no one to bring wheat to the fan. I had by this time crawled away under the side of the post and fence rail by which the yard was enclosed, hoping to find relief by getting out of the sun. He then asked where I was. He was told by one of the hands. He came to the spot and after looking at me a while, asked me what was the matter. I told him as well as I could, for I was scarce had strength to speak. He then gave me a savage kick in the side and told me to get up. I tried to do so, but fell back in the attempt. He gave me another kick and again told me to rise. I tried. I again tried and succeeded in gaining my feet, but stumbling to get the tub with which I was feeding the fan, I again staggered and fell. While down in the situation, Mr. Convey took up the hickory slack with which Hooks had been striking off the half rustled measure and with it gave me a heavy blow upon the head making a large wound and the blood ran freely and with this again told me to get up i made no effort to comply having now made up my mind to let him do his worst in a short time after receiving his blow my head grew better mr convey had now left me to my fate at this moment i resolved for the first time to go to my master enter a complaint and ask his protection in order to do this i must that afternoon walk seven miles in this under the circumstances was truly a severe undertaking i was expecting feedable feelable made as much by the kicks and blows which i had received as the severe fit of sickness to which i had been subjected i however watched my chance while convey was looking in opposite direction and started for saint michael's 
I succeeded in getting a considerable distance on my way to the woods, even when Mr. Convey discovered me and called after me to come back, threatening what he would do if I did not come. I disregarded both his calls and his threats and made my way to the woods as fast as my feeble state would allow. And thinking I might be overholded by him, I kept the road. I walked through the woods, keeping far enough from the road to avoid detection and near enough to prevent losing my way. I had not gone far before my little strength again failed me. I couldn't go no farther. I fell down and laid for a considerable time. The blood was yet oozing from the wound of my head for a long time. I thought I should bleed to death and think now I should have do so, done so, but that the blood so matted my hair as to stop the wound. After lying there about three quarters of an hour, I nerved up again and started on my way through bogs and briars, barefooted and bareheaded, tearing my feet. Sometimes at nev never step, near nearly every step, and after a journey of about seven miles, occupying some five hours to perform it, I arrived at Master's store. I then presented an appearance enough to affect any but a heart of iron. From the crown of my head to my feet, I was covered with blood. My hair was all clotted with dust and blood. My shirt was stiff with blood. My legs and feet were torn in sun-dried places with briars and thorns and were also covered with blood. I suppose I looked like a man who had escaped a den of a wild beast and barely escaped them. In this state, I appeared before my master, humbly entreated and telling him that imposed his authority for my protection. I told him all the circumstances as well as I could, and then it seemed as I spoke at times to affect him. He would then walk the floor and seek to justify convey by saying he expected, he expected I desired it. He asked me what I wanted. I told him to let me get a new home that is sure I, as I lived with Mr. Convey again, I should live with but to die with him that convey would surely kill me he was in the fair way for me master thomas ridiculed the idea that there was any danger of mr convey's killing me and said that he knew mr convey and that he was a good man and that he would not think of taking me from him that should he do so he would lose the whole year's wage that i belonged to mr convey for one year and that i must go back to him come what might in that I must not trouble him with any more stories or that he would himself get a hold of me. After threatening me thus, he gave me a very large dose of salts, telling me that I might remain in St. Michael's that night, it being quite late, but that I must be off to Mr. Covey's early that in the morning and that if I did not, he would get a hold of me, which meant he would whip me. I Mained all night, and according to his orders, I started off to Mr. Convey's in the morning, Saturday morning. Wearied in body and broken in spirit, I got no supper that night or breakfast that morning. I reached Mr. Convey's about 9 o'clock, and, and just as I was getting over the fence that divided Mrs. Kemp's fields from ours, out ran Convey with his cow skin to give me another whipping. Before he could reach me, I succeeded in getting to the cornfields, and as the corn was very high, it afforded me the means of hiding. 
He seemed very angry and searching for me a long time. My behavior was altogether unaccountable. He finally gave up the chase, thinking I was supposed that I must come home for something to eat. He would give himself no further trouble in looking for me. I spent that day mostly in the woods, having the alternative before me to go home and be whipped to death or stay in the woods and be starved to death. That night, I felt... I fell in with Sandy Jerkins, a slave with whom I was somewhat acquainted. Sandy had a, a free wife who loom, who lived about four miles away from Mr. Convey's. And it being Saturday, he was on his way to see her. I told him my circumstances, and he very kindly invited me to go home with him. I went home... with him and talked his whole matter over and got his advice as to what course it was best for me to pursue. I found Sandy an old advisor. He told me with great solemnity, I go back to convey, but that before I went, I must go with him into another part of the woods where there was a certain route, which I would take some of it and carrying it always on my right side would render it impossible for Mr. Convey or any other white man to whip me. He said he had carried it for years, and ever since he had done so, he had never received a blow, and never expected to while he carried it. I at first rejected the idea that the very simple of carrying a root in my pocket would have any such effect, as he said, and it was not disposed to take it, but Sandy impressed the necessary with such earnest, telling me it could do no harm, if it did no good to pl- please him, I at length took the route and, according to his directions, carried it upon my right side. This was Sunday morning. I immediately started for home, and upon entering the yard gate, came up Mr. Convey in his way from meeting. He spoke to me very kindly, bade me drive the pigs from a, a lot nearby, and passed on towards the church. Now this singular conduct of Mr. Convey really made me begin to think that there was something in this route which Sandy had given me, and it had been on any other day than Sunday. I could have attributed the conduct to no other cause than the influence of that route, and as it was, I was half inclined to think the route to be something more than I had first taken it to be. All went till Monday morning. On this morning, the virtue of the route was fully tested long before daylight i was called to go and rub curry and feed the horses i obeyed and was gladly to obey but whitless and thus engaged whitelist in the act of throwing down some blades from the loft mr convey entered the stable with a long rope and just as i was half out of the loft he caught a hold of my legs and was about tying me as soon as i found what he was up to i gave a sudden spring and as i did so he holding my legs i brought some spiraling on the stable floor i was brought spiraling on the stable floor mr convey seemed now i was now to think he had me and he could do what he pleased but at this moment from whence came the spirit i do not know i resolved to fight and suiting my actions to the resolution i seized mr convey hard by the throat and as I did so, I rose, he held on to me, and I told him my resistance was entirely unexpected, that Convey seemed taken all, aba- all aback. He trembled like a leaf, 
This gave me the assurance, and I held him uneasy, causing the blood to run from which I touched him with the ends of my fingers. Mr. Convey soon called out to Hughes for help. Hughes came, and while Convey held me, attempted to tie my right hand. While he was in the act of doing so, I watched my chance and gave him a heavy kick close under the ribs. This kick fairly sickened Hughes so that he left me in the hands of Mr. Convey. This kick had the effect of not only weakening Hughes, but Convoy also. When he saw Hughes bend over with pain, his courage quailed. He asked me if if I meant to persist in my resistance. I hope I did come what might, that he had used me like a brute for six months and that I was determined to be used no longer. With that, he strove to drag me with a stick that was lying just out of the stable door. He meant to knock me down, but just as he was leaning over to get the stick, I seized him with both hands by his collar and brought him by a sudden snatch to the ground. By this time, Bill came... Convey called upon him for assistance. Bill wanted to know what he could do. Convey said, take a hold of him. Take a hold of him. Bill said his master hired him out to do work and not to help to whip me. So he left Convey and myself to fight our own battle out. We were all at it for nearly two hours. Convey at length let me go, puffing and blowing at a great rate, saying that if I had not resisted, he would had not whipped me half as much. The truth was that he had not whipped me at all. I considered him as getting entirely the worst end of the bargain, for he had drawn no blood from me, but I had from him. The whole six months afterwards I spent with Mr. Convey, he had never laid his weight of his finger upon me in anger. He would occasionally say he didn't want to get a hold of me again. No, thought I, no, that I, you need not for will come off worse than you did before. This battle with Convey was the turning point in my career as a slave. It rekindled the few expiring embers of freedom that revived within me a sense of my own manhood. It recalled the departed self-confidence and inspired me again with a determination to be free. The gratification afforded the triumph that was itself. He only can understand the deep satisfaction which I experienced who, as himself repelled by force and bloody arm of slavery. I felt as I never felt before. It was glorious reassection from the tomb of slavery to the heaven of freedom. My long crushed spirit rose, cowards departed, bold defecation took its place, and I now resolved that however long I might remain in slavery and from, the day had never passed forever when I could be a slave. In fact, I did not hesitate to let it be known for me that a white-collared man who expected to succeed in whipping must also succeed in killing me. From this time, I was never again what might be called fairly whipped. Though I remained a slave four years afterwards, I had s- several fights but was never whipped. It was for it was for a long time a matter of surprise to me why Mr. Convey did not immediately have upon by the constable to whipping not immediately have taken me to the console whipping post and there 
regularly whipping for the crime of raising my hand against a white man in defense for myself. And the only explanation I can now think of does not entirely satisfy me, but such as it is, I will give it. Mr. Convilly enjoyed the most unbounded reputation of being the first-rate overseer and Negro breaker. It was of considerable importance to him, that reputation at the stake, and had he sent me a boy about 16 years old to the public whipping post, his reputation would have been lost. So to save his reputation, he suffered me to go unpunished. My term of actual service to Mr. Edward Convey ended on Christmas Day, 1833. The day between Christmas and New New Year's Day are allowed as holidays, and accordingly we were not required to perform any labor more than to feed and take care of the stock. This time we got regarded as our own by the grace of our masters, and we therefore used and abused it nearly as we pleased. Those of us who had families at a distance were generally allowed to spend the whole six days in their society. This time, however, was spent in various ways. They stayed sober, thinking and industrializing one of our number one employers themselves and making corn brooms, mats, horse collars, and baskets and other classes for us, which spent the time in hunting opossums, hares, and coons. But by the large part engaged in such sports in Mikrolims as playing ball, wrestling, running, foot races, fiddling, dancing, and drinking whiskey. In this later mode of spending the time by far the most agreeable to the feeling of our master, a slave who would work during the holidays was considered by our masters as scarcely deserving them. He was regarded as one who rejected the favor of his master. It was deemed a disgrace not to get drunk at Christmas, and he was regarded as lazy, indeed, who had not provided himself with the necessary means during the year to get whiskey enough to last him through Christmas. From what I know of the effects of these holidays upon the slave, I believe them to be amongst the most effective means in the hands of the slave owners in keeping down the spirits of insurrection. Were the slaveholders at once to abandon this practice, I have not the slightest doubt it would lead to the immediate insurrection among the slaves. These holidays serve as conductors or safety values to carrying off the rebellious spirit of enslaved humanity. But for these, the slaves would be forced to the wildest desperation, and woe betide the slaveholders the day he ventures to remove or hinders the operations of those conductors. I warn him that in such an event, a spirit will go forth in the midst more to be dreaded than the most appealing earthquake. The holidays are part and parcel of the gross fraud, wrong, and inhumanity of slavery. There was professionally a custom established by the violence of the slaveholders, but I undertaken to say it is the results of selfishness and one of the grossest fraud committed upon the down slave. 
They do not give the slaves this time because they would not like to have their work during this continuance, but because they know it would be unsafe to deprive them of it. This will be seen by the fact that the slaves like to have their slaves the slaveholders like to have their slaves spend those days just in the manner to make them as glad as their ending of their beginning. Their objects seem to be to disguise their slaves with freedom as plunging them into the lowest depths of de desperation. For instance, the slaveholders not only like to see the slaves drink of their own accords, but will adopt various plans to make them drunk. One plan is to make bets on their slaves as to whom can drink the most whiskey without getting drunk. In this way, they succeed in getting whole multitudes up to drink to six excess thus when the slaves ask for various freedom and cunning slaveholders know his ignorance cheats him with a douse of victory's desperation artful labeled with the name of liberty the most of us used to drink it down and the results was just what might be supposed many of us were led to think that there was a little to choice between liberty and slavery we felt there was very properly too that they we had almost as well been slaves to man as to rum this is some powerful stuff you guys we're getting into the real origins of what this is which is talking about alcoholism and how rooted it is into america all the way to the very beginning of us um it's very interesting to hear about this you guys because i have a lot of family that struggles from that addiction and it shows that it's not maybe by choice maybe it was inflicted upon the slaveholders that held the genetic code to the previous owners of my family's heritage wow Wow. You know, we got another about 10 pages here. Actually, about 20. We got about another 20 pages. I think we're going to call it here, you guys. Oh, gosh, that was intense. Um... You know, it's just, it's really powerful to hear the stories of how slave owners used to run the ways. Um, maybe the next book we can get into, I would like it to be selected by one of you guys. I prefer that. But if we don't get any selections from you guys, then I think I'm going to maybe find a book that focuses more on the mentality of the slave owners. Um, I think, like the slaveholders. I think it, it would be interesting to see if there was, um, you know, differentiating opinions on the slaveholders and what the people were thinking back then during this time period. But with that being said, man, this is very difficult hearing a lot of these things. So um, I appreciate you guys that listen to the end. God bless you and your families. And I hope you're enjoying the series because I'm loving it.